0: take a minute to offer just a brief word of thanks to our choir, but especially to Tyrone and Zabriel, whose gifts are straight from God. When I grew up or either get to heaven, I want to sing like they do. Thank you for sharing your gifts with us. You are a blessing and you bring us joy. That is our series, it is one of joy, and I do give thanks to God for the ways that you have responded to this series about joy, because to be in Christ as human beings, and as families, and as a church, means that we are people of joy. Doesn't mean that we have to walk around all giddy and ecstatic 24 seven, although you're free to do that if you like. But joy is so much deeper, Because it means that even on our roughest days, there's peace. That things like happiness are actually happenings, but that joy comes through anticipation, through an exhilaration, an expectation that we are never, ever alone in this world. And that joy is rooted in relationships with God and with people. This past week, one of you defined joy this way. You said that joy is the assurance that in life's highs and lows, Christ will not let you go. Now that a preach right there. Christ will not let you go. Joy comes through a sense of homecoming. That was our first Sunday together in this series, that Jesus sends us and, and receives us and sends us and receives us, and it's the way that the church breathes The body of Christ breathes is through sending and receiving, and Susan and I have certainly felt your love and your joy and your care during our return home, so thank you for continuing to make this transition, one filled with joy. Uh, Last week, what we mentioned with the Mary and the Martha story is that our worry and our distraction can become blinders and prevent us from experiencing joy that we get so worried and distracted by the past and so worried and distracted by the future that we miss Jesus Christ right here in our midst, even seated next to us in our discipleship as we're sitting and listening and going and doing. And so we do ask like Martha did, Lord, don't you care? It's our worry and distraction that sometimes allow us to overshoot that Christ is here So I've taken a little bit of liberty with the the gospel lections for the month of July because I wanted to use those as a framework for how we can experience joy in our lives. We experience joy each time we return here. And I hope that each week that, that you deploy into the mission field, you come back with glory sightings and joy sightings about where you have seen God at work. That brings me joy, and it brings us joy. And then, like our church family, we share those together, those moments of, of joy, like Mary and Martha model for us discipleship. Today, we're thinking about joy in loving our next-door neighbors or loving those within our zip code. And then next week, we'll conclude this series as we think about uh, this outer band of joy, if you will, of, of loving those who, who maybe are, are different from us, our neighbors that way as well. So use that as a framework for discipleship. Your going and your coming brings joy. Those around you bring joy. Those in our zip codes bring us joy if we'll just have eyes to see and ears to hear. So today, it's a very interesting trilogy that Luke gives us in the 11th chapter. Somewhere along the journey, uh, Luke jotted these words down about how Jesus was relating to people, and we get this, this triptych, this trilogy series of sayings that happened in the life and ministry of Jesus. So we're in Luke chapter 11. I invite you, as you're able, to stand for the reading, hearing, and the blessing of, of God's holy word. From Luke chapter 11, listen for the word of the Lord. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and after he finished praying, one of his disciples said to him, "'Lord, teach us to pray.' As John taught his disciples to pray, Jesus said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us and do not bring us into the time of trial. And Jesus said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend And you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. For a friend of mine has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, Do not bother me, the door has already been locked and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you? If a child asks for a fish, will give them a snake instead? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give that child a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So in today's text, as I mentioned, there are three parts. One about how to pray, one about neighborly relations, and then one about persistence with this rhetorical set of questions about how to relate to children. And it reminds me of a story from my childhood that I heard. There was a fellow named Mr. Green, and he went home one day, and he peeked over his fence, and he saw his neighbor, a young boy, in his backyard, um, and, and he was saying a prayer over this hole that he had been filling in. And curious about what the little boy uh, was, was up to, Mr. Green said, Hey, Jimmy, what are, you, what are you doing over there? So Jimmy had tears in his eyes, and he said, Well, my goldfish has died, and I've just had to bury it. Well, that's an awfully large hole for a goldfish, Jimmy, said Mr. Green. And he was patting down the last bit of earth. Jimmy said, well, that's because my goldfish is still inside your cat. (laughs) (laughs) Love your neighbors. (laughs) Right? So Luke gives us three images, how to pray, something about neighbors, how to be persistent, just these rhetorical devices that it's preposterous that we would do something to harm children. Why would God harm us? So the question is, are all of these, these three things supposed to connect in some way? Maybe. I mean, the lectionary bundles them together, but but what do you think about, about a text focused on praying where Jesus uses two neighbors to follow up. It's this strange set of things. And, and when those disciples say, Jesus, how are we supposed to pray? He says, pray for the kingdom to come. It's a radical prayer. Pray for thy will to be done. Pray for enough bread right now. And that forgiveness of sins is in, as important as the forgiveness of debt. Pray that way. And in this parable, about a midnight encounter between two neighbors, it's followed by that third part I mentioned. What in the world is Luke trying to do? And what does this have to do with joy? Well, everything, because it has to do with Jesus. And as a, as a baseline, to find Jesus is to find joy. But this parable is so wonderfully confounding because it really is a, a matter of hospitality, it's a lesson in hospitality. So was last week's lesson with Mary and Martha. And what we've learned about hospitality is that it has very little to do with food and, and getting everything in order, that's part of it. But the focus, the goal of hospitality is about relationships. It's about putting others ahead of ourselves. So Jesus tells this story about hospitality. Suppose your neighbor comes to you at midnight and is in need because someone's come to visit your neighbor and that neighbor needs bread and your neighbor doesn't have any bread. So the neighbor comes knocking and says, I need some bread. I got to have some help. Well, that doesn't mean a whole lot to us here in the modern world, but in the ancient world, it was huge because to deny someone the opportunity to extend hospitality brought shame on them and It brought shame on you. So there's a lot of humor in this parable. The early hearers of this story, Jesus' disciples, those within earshot, those who were reading it very early on in, in the life of the church, when they heard Jesus say, suppose one of you has a neighbor, and when that neighbor comes knocking, you say, don't bother me, the door has been locked. Laughter would have erupted. It's a first century preacher joke, don't you get it? Right. I think there's a lot of humor in this, because it's preposterous to think that a person would not get up and help a neighbor. And literally, this homeowner couldn't get up. Galilean villages knew that, because in a patriarchal home, between the front door and between the bedroom were were family members, children, children. A person's, a man's wife and the animals, the pets, everything was in between the man who could get up and do something about the knocking door and the person who was knocking. So to get up in the middle of the night especially means that everybody in the house had to get up. Any of you accidentally ever awakened a, a bunch of pets <laughs> or a child in the middle of the night? It gets loud, doesn't it? The funnier part, though, is that the friend knocking would have awakened several others within that village, but it was such a tight-knit community, right? So bread was baked in a common oven, and everybody knew who had the fresh bread in in the area. So when he came to this this homeowner's house and said, hey, I need bread, I've got to extend hospitality, it would have awakened not only that family, but several other families. And, And the translation is this, all eyes... All eyes were on that homeowner to see how will he address the knocking neighbor at midnight. Because there was a disruption, and it was inconvenient. But it's your neighbor. It's your neighbor who needs help. And if, if you don't help your neighbor, then your neighbor will be shamed, and you'll be shamed. So in the middle of the night, at midnight, the darkest point 24-hour cycle, there's a neighbor in need asking for help. What will happen? What do you do when someone comes a knocking at midnight? Well, first of all, do your neighbors know you well enough and, and trust you well enough to come asking for help? Flip that. Do you know your neighbors well enough to go ask your neighbors for help? At night or in their darkest hour. Sociologists often tell us that that one of the things that's happening in neighborhoods and communities now is that it's not like it used to be where we would know just about everybody around us, and some of you do, but in a lot of of neighborhoods, we know the person on our right, on our left, maybe across the street, and that's about as wide as as our circle um, is. So how do you know your neighbors? Do they know you? In addition to the many wonderful ministry opportunities and the tremendous amount of meetings that I have enjoyed this week here at this church, between the two celebrations of life, Skip Skipworth, Ray Evans, there's a lot of ministry that has happened in these halls and in this community this week. Somewhere, tucked in the middle of all of that, Susan and I bought a house this week, Kind of seems like a distant memory at this point, but we cannot wait to move in. It's within walking distance of the church and within earshot of the tower chime, so to me that means the kingdom of heaven is near. That's exciting news. We've met several, many of our, our neighbors already, but as I was engaging our neighbors and meeting some of them, I had this text in my mind. And the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. And I was wondering where these relationships with our new neighbors will go. How will those stories unfold? And because I want our neighbors to be confident enough to call on us. And then I thought about the midnight part, <laughs> right? That takes things up a notch. Maybe I don't know. Maybe they'll call or text first, right? That's what we say. Midnight, it can be a scary time. and. In our family, we don't have one of those little nest things. You know, the little cameras, the nest things that go up there so when somebody knocks on your door, rings the doorbell, you can have like your own Big Brother Cloverdale Edition live version of what's going on on your front porch. We don't have one of those. So, so what I've come to believe is that midnight has more to do with one season of life than a particular point in a 24-hour period. What I want is for our neighbors to call on us when midnight strikes, and by that what I mean is when they find themselves in need of some bread, the bread of faith and the bread of hope and the bread of love, as Dr. King says, I want our neighbors to be confident enough that they can come to the Cooper house and say, we need some bread of joy. When your neighbors are in a midnight hour of life, to whom will they turn? When you, friends, find yourself in a midnight hour of life, to whom do you turn? Because every one of us are going to have a midnight. We don't really have a a Western equivalent of, of what it would mean to have somebody awakened at midnight, awaken us, to have our neighbor come visit us and, you know thus being shamed if we don't help them. We don't really have that that equivalent per se. But it's made me think a lot about to what lengths we will go to ensure that our next door neighbor isn't shamed or left out to dry. And so I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about my elderly neighbors. And if their lawn goes unattended, is there something that I can do so that they don't get a nasty gram from a neighborhood association? Can I help them with that? Or if there's a young family with children who's moved in and they've got toys strewn all over the yard, is there, is there something I can do to help that young family? Or, or if we live next door to someone a family with someone who's differently abled, do we see those needs clearly enough and know how to help our neighbor maintain that sense of dignity and respect? And so the short version is this. How are we putting our neighbors ahead of ourselves? To do so is to live and love as Christ. And to live in love as Christ is to find joy. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. preached this text one time. It was June the 5th, 1963, in Cincinnati, Ohio. And so Dr. King and I have been talking a lot this week. (laughs) Dr. King has helped me think about the midnight hours of social order and the midnight hours of mental health and mental order the midnight hours of moral order, because on the surface, these midnight hours, they seem so dark and so daunting. What is one to do? And for me, that's when I believe this text begins to pivot and to become more about a way that we, the church, can love our next-door neighbors, those within our own zip code, those within our community, people right around us who are asking hard questions about culture and society and just trying to figure out life, people who are wrestling with mental health issues, people who are searching for a moral compass and want some language for how to deal with, with hard issues when life maybe shifts beneath their feet. All around us, our neighbors are experiencing a midnight hour. But I'm here to tell you that with every midnight hour comes a knock. Knock. And our neighbors, they hear these chimes bellowing all across the city and they come knocking. Our neighbors hear about the tremendous work happening in our respite ministry and in our choir and in our 50 plus ministries and and that we will be 190 years old in September. So they come knocking. You look really good for 190, by the way. Why do people come? The same reasons that you and I come because we're all searching for those loaves of hope and peace and joy. Bill Heibel says the local church is the hope for the world, and, and I believe that because I believe in us. At any given moment, we can turn on those headlines and something disappointing or challenging, is it's going to be there, but opportunities for joy are there a-knocking. So how will our neighbors find us at their midnight hour. In the text, the owner says, don't bother me. such a crazy, preposterous thing to say because that just would not happen. No Galilean would turn away somebody regardless of the midnight hour that they came, and nor will we, because here at this church, there's always enough bread for the one who comes knocking. And we will always lead people to Jesus Christ where the bread of forgiveness is always fresh and it's always warm and it's always on the rise because the bread of life has risen from the grave. Amen? Many neighbors who come knocking, you and me alike, they come from places of scarcity and fear about how things are out there, but the joy of Christ runs counter to a narrative of scarcity and fear because the good news of Jesus Christ is one of blessings and of hope. Do you know that Jesus, more than anything else in the gospel, used this phrase, do not be afraid. Say it with me. Do not be afraid. Fear can steal our joy. And that's a good word for whatever midnight you are facing or for whatever midnight your neighbor is facing, or for whatever midnight our neighbors are facing. So do not be afraid. God is going to get up. We come a-knocking. Sarah Jay is someone else who helped me this week. She says that far from implying that A sleep-deprived God answers prayer grudgingly because of our tiresome insistence. The logic says that if, despite our human failings and our selfish tendencies, we can still be motivated to assist others, even when it sacrifices our comfort and, and eagerly supply what is safe and pleasant for our children, then, to a vastly greater degree, our God who is not like us in our weakness will do so much more and friends that that truth it brings me great joy that despite our weaknesses despite our needs despite not having life all figured out despite the depth of our midnight hours God gets up God gets up for you God gets up for us. God gets up for our city. And God gets up, and oh, the joy that floods my soul when that happens. Yes, midnight is a dark time. It can be confusing, and it can be disorienting, scary. So Dr. King shares with with us what I think is one of the most important words we can hear, and that is, midnight never lasts long. All of us, if we're honest, are on this journey together and we're asking for a little bread. Everybody's looking for a little bread of faith and hope and love and joy and peace and kindness. But what every person is actually looking for is the light of dawn, a new day. Because dawn is the edge of hope. Dawn is the edge of peace. And dawn is the edge of joy. So keep knocking. Keep listening for those knocks from your neighbor. And as the psalmist tells us weeping, it may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning.